Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to the Forza Italian Football Podcast. I am your returning host, Connor Clancy. It is an absolute delight to be back. I think it's about a month since I've been here. And joining me as ever is Vito Doria. Vito, it's a pleasure as always. Yes, it is. It's good to see you back on the pod again, Connor. And I'm feeling a bit exhausted myself, but I'm still bugging away. Oh, mate, don't even talk to me about being tired. Uh, I was at Sassuolo Bologna this morning, which was a 12.30 kickoff from Reggio Emilia, and then I've been writing about El Clasico since, so the sooner the better. Gillian Lopetegui gets dismissed of his duties at Real Madrid, so I'll have an easier life. Um, also joining us to make our lives a little bit easier is uh, pod debutant Kev Pogrzelski. Kev, firstly, did I say your name right? Um, well, oddly, a, con- a Polish concierge this weekend told me that I've been saying it wrong for my entire life. So uh, it, it's oh apparently Pogzelski. Okay. Have I been saying it? The way, did I say it the way you've been saying, saying it? How I've been saying it for 30 plus years. So that's, uh, that's, that's fine. fine by me. That's become a rule. You've said it so many times. Okay, guys, let's start where Serie A, I was going to say finished, but of course there is the small matter of Lazio Inter tomorrow. The, the most recent game to be played was Napoli against Roma, where it finished one each. And I don't know, Kev, I'll start with you. Do you think Napoli deserved to win this one? They were completely dominant. I think if you look at the statistics, everything sort of lends itself to, to that argument that Napoli certainly deserved to win. And um, I saw Ancelotti's post-match comment saying that he felt the same. And even Di Francesco kind of indicated that the equaliser were deserved. But there were just times in the match where, although Roma defended well, Napoli were really limited to, to shots from distance or just pushing the ball out to the wings and then tossing balls, you know, into the box with, with, with little success. And then you had 
the the couple of offside goals, and you just felt that it was never coming. You know, certainly when I was watching it, and uh, you know, and they, they were probably lucky to get that last minute that last minute equaliser. Yeah, Vito, they they started with Eric Millick up top, and then by the end they reverted to the usual Dries Martins. Did they have any more luck when Martins came on, or, or were they better off lumping the balls into Millick? I thought they were much better off when Mertens was on the pitch. Although Roma played with a tall defence and one would have thought Milik would have been an ideal match-up for those defenders, unfortunately it wasn't very beneficial for Napoli. Mertens moved the ball much quicker and with his pace I think that unsettled the Roma defence a fair bit. He had two goals disallowed for offside and they were correct calls, so it was fortunate that Third time lucky when he did put the ball in the net for the equaliser, it managed to stand. And I think he did make a difference in the play when he came on. Yeah, I was talking to my dad throughout this game and he kind of summed it up nicely by saying he thought Napoli deserved to win even when Roma were 1-0 up, but he didn't think that Roma deserved to throw away their lead. It was kind of a strange one. But Kev, Roma and defending well isn't really a concept that sits easily with me. It's quite a confusing one. They did. They they did, and as sort of the, the longer the game went on, you had there was there was an early chance for uh, for Ruiz, which he kind of spurned by laying the ball off to Insigne rather than actually shooting himself. And then about six or seven minutes later, Al Shuari put Roma in the lead, and you just wonder if that whole sort of fifteen minutes start to the game actually changed changed how the game was going to going to go because then it allowed Roma to defend. And like you say, it's, it's kind of a foreign concept to, you know, expect them to, to carry on and sort of take, take a lead right up until 90 minutes for, for 75 minutes of the game. And even Olsen, who looks like he's got a mistake in him uh, constantly had, a, had a really good game. Yeah. Well, Olsen, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I saw Olsen say in the week that he wanted to make Roma fans forget about Alisson. It's not going to be that easy for him to do that because Alisson is on a different level. Kev, as a Liverpool fan, I'm sure you're perfectly aware of that. CM Fox has come in in the comments nice and early, throwing his conspiracy theories around. I'm not going to read that out. People will get in trouble. But he also said that Roma lost De Rossi and Manolas to injury and it just wasn't enough for them to hold out. De Rossi's injury, do we know anything more about that? Cristante came on from, they will be concerned if he is out for too long because he's kind of a rare breed in that midfield since Dangalon left. He's the only one with that, I don't know, that Roman heart veto. Do you know anything about his injury? I haven't heard any latest updates on the injury, but if we are to speak about De Rossi in general, he does have the experience and the tenacity he would be missed if he's out for a long period of time because this Roma midfield still needs to develop its identity and understanding as well. So if uh, the Rossi is missing, not only do they lose someone with that Roman connection, but someone who has toughness, who has leadership. And in a game like this, he was the ideal type of performer because he has the defensive attributes as well as the offensive ones. I am actually getting an update as we speak that it is just knee pain for De Rossi and thigh pain for Manolas. Um, both will be assessed this week, probably tomorrow when they get back to training, I suppose. You look at the league table, 
I know it's early, but 10 games in is kind of when I usually start looking at it. And after everyone got excited about Juve dropping points last week, although to be fair, I don't think anyone on here said that it meant anything other than Juve dropping a strange point or two. And Juventus are still six points clear at the top after 10 games. It's ridiculous. And Juventus are breaking all sorts of records. 28 points after 10 games, nine wins, one draw, no defeats. And you wouldn't be surprised if that read 38 games, no defeats by the end of the season. But we will get to them. Um, I think the next place to go is actually to another game that took place today. And it was a bit of a crazy one. Our very own Dov Schiavone was there. We will have some audio from him in the audio version of the podcast. So those of you watching, make sure you download that on iTunes, Acast. We're on Spotify now as well, so go over there and listen to us if that is the thing you use. So, Dov, things aren't all that bad at San Siro. They're fifth in Serie A now, three points behind Lazio, and if Milan win their game at hand and Lazio lose to Inter, they're fourth. So, what's all the fuss about? Hashtag Gattuso out, Connor. Um... I think that what's happened at Milan has been, a, for me, especially given what what could very very likely happen, is a bit of an overreaction um, to a derby defeat and a Europa League defeat, and a derby defeat that happened in the last minute as well. I know people have kind of said that the way that, that Milan set up in the derby and they were quite negative and they didn't really go for it. I mean, obviously I was there. The feeling there wasn't that bad. They, obviously their game plan was to counter-attack Inter. Um, Inter are a better team than Milan. Uh, I, I don't think there's many people that would argue against that. So Gattuso had his plan and obviously his plan was how he thought he could win the game. And obviously it didn't come to pass and Inter scored and, 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 and time added on and then it's disaster, disaster. But I mean, before then, they'd won three in a row. Um, the, the last team they were beaten was by Napoli before that. They'd beaten Roma. And, and obviously they got, they got back on track um, on Sunday night against Sampdoria. So I think some of the critics the Gattuso's had have been a bit harsh. Right? Granted, he's, he's not pulling up trees with his kind of tactical nows and stuff, but I think he's doing as, as good as he can do. And if he gets into fourth, then at this point in time, even better with the, the players that he's got at his disposal because some of them just are not very good. I'm looking at you, Masaccio, Calabria, Rodriguez, Borini. If you look at the bench, for example, the bench against Abdori was terrible. Nobody's changing a game from that bench. So I think he's doing as good as he can do with the players that he's got. Yeah, I'm going to talk a bit more about their defence later on with the guys on the podcast. And someone else that I'm going to bring up is Suzo because, Dov, he's been all right this year. Um, you you have been quite vocal, as have I, in your criticism of Suzo. Are you starting to eat those words of yours? Uh, no. Uh, it, it depends. He's been more decisive, which he needs to be, and he hadn't been before. Uh, he's got seven assists so far this season, which is as many as he got in the entirety of last season. So whatever... 
um, Gattuso's been telling him is working. For, for me, it, it seems to be a bit more... It, it kind of differentiates what he does a bit more. Last season, all he did was kind of run down the right, cut inside on his left and either cross or shoot, and that was pretty much his repertoire. Um, this season, he, he's kind of been going down the right and staying on the right and maybe putting in a low cross with his right. He'll it, it it cut in. Most of the time, he still likes to cut in. Um, what is it? Seven of his seven out of his last eight league goals have been left-footed from outside the box. <laughs> so he still does his that. thing. Yeah, he still does his thing. Um, and I think the way that Gattuso changed the formation today, I think it suits him a lot better um, because it means that he's got more people to work with in an attacking sense because obviously against Sampdoria he had Cotroni and Higuain to aim for and then you've got Laxal on the other side as well so it was a 4-4-2 but more of a 4-2-4 with Laxal kind of running up and down and helped with Rodriguez and Calabria overlapping so, so really kind of a lot more attacking which obviously leaves him susceptible at the back which you'll talk with the guys about I'm sure so I think he's He's got a lot more. He's, he's got more options because he's a. He, I'm, not, I'm not saying he's a bad player. He's a technically very, very good player. My problem was that he doesn't do it often enough, um, and and he's starting to do it more often. Which, if he continues on that road, then yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll eat my words. But at the minute, I, I'm I'm reserving judgment still. I uh, just one more thing before I let you go and return to walking your dog, but. <laughs> Suzo, Higuain and Cutrone all scored today. Mm. It's got to be a good sign that they're sharing the goals around, especially with their problems at the back. Well, someday today, asked me, who's Milan's best player? And my kind of instant response was Gonzalo Higuain. But then, have, then thinking about it, and thinking about not just obviously ability, but kind of ability, what they bring to the team, attitude. I would say Cutrone is Milan's best player. He got a goal and an assist against Sampdoria. The first time he's done that since his debut in 2017 against uh, Crotone. And when he's on the park, he, he's obviously got an affinity with the club. He's came through all the youth teams. Uh, whether or not he's a supporter is a bit up in the air, but he clearly loves it. He loves to score goals. And having him and Higuain kind of bounce off each other really works. Higuain looked a lot better as well. And then having Suso as well, with two targets, it's, it gives it just gives Milan a lot more options. And then, would you rather have Catroni sat on the bench and then coming on and playing as a left winger where, he, where, he's, where it's pointless, or have him starting up front alongside Higuain to score and set up goals? I would rather have the latter. And if, my, if Milan win their next ten games three two, I don't think there'd be many Milan fans complaining. Mm, I think him and Higuain are frighteningly good together. And I do think Egwene is helping to bring out the best in Catrona, but that's probably a conversation for another day. Dov, thank you for joining us. I'll let you get back to whatever you're up to. Pleasure, guys. Vito. Sampdoria went to the San Siro and left empty-handed. AC Milan won 3-2. And, yeah, disappointing result for you a lot. Absolutely. Although there were some patches of play in which we played some good football, I thought that we were more timid than usual and I thought that there was a lack of courage. Usually we play with a high defensive line and we keep possession, whereas this time we were sitting deep and 
trying to hit on the counter-attack, but not with much great pace. It was only when we were losing the game in those spells that we showed more attacking play, that desire to build up the play and create chances. I reckon the thing that scared Sump the most was Milan starting with Gonzalo Higuain and Patrick Cutrone up front for probably the first time this season. And just having them two together really worked. They're both centre forwards, but they still have different attributes and movements. So I think their performance really caught Sump off guard and it was a different Sump to what we are usually used to seeing. All right. Yeah, I'm sorry. We're going straight on to Milan. And this isn't something I planned on talking about this week, but it's come up in the comments. So we're going there. Rasmus wants to know, is Souza the best right winger in Serie A? No. And then he follows it up with one of the most outrageous claims I have ever seen by saying he is like a young Robin. Everyone knows what he's trying to do and he still does it. Kev, Souza, is he God's gift? I did tweet on this earlier that, uh, you know, that when he cuts inside and I did bracket it actually as you can almost not stop what he's going to do. You know, you can read what he's going to do. I thought he had quite a quiet first half actually. Um, and, and didn't really come to life until, in, until my man had to d- dig in. And I, oh, sorry, I'm moving away from the suicide question, but I kind of feel that the goals given, given Gattuso a stay of execution that will probably harm Milan in the long run. Um, I think they've had this uplift of, of performances that you were always going to get with him and they've not really pushed on. But uh, Suso, uh, you know, being a Liverpool fan, as you mentioned earlier, was always seen as kind of a poor man's Coutinho. He's just sort of that, that, that level down from, from that. And he's probably at his level with, 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 with Milan at the moment. But... A poor man's Coutinho. No. I think a poor man's Coutinho is still even quite generous to Suzo, to be honest. I know he's playing well this season, but just wait. He's, he's not this amazing player. He's doing well right now, and he does deserve credit for that. But, Kev, you mentioned Gattuso getting a stay of execution. I've kind of done the opposite thing. When Gattuso came in, I was laughing at him. I thought he was a joke. And then for his first few games, it was really funny because the results were quite funny from a non-AC Milan perspective. And then he started to show that he could change things up. He changed formations. He had them playing this attractive style of football. I know that it's not all going too well at the moment, but Milan aren't actually that far outside the Champions League places, especially after that win tonight. They've got that game in hand. And then I'm pretty sure if they win that, depending on Lazio's result against Inter, they could be four. So, Vito, is, is this talk of Gattuso getting the sack absolute insanity? Because we've seen at Milan more than anyone else that changing coach every 10 days doesn't do anything. I reckon that if AC Milan had lost this game, this would have been the final nail in the coffin. For him, I reckon it was the must-win game at this stage of the season. And just by changing the formation to a 4-4-2 and having that forward duo, I reckon that made a difference. They can go up to fourth place. And if they do, I think it would be really convenient for Gattuso in particular. And I reckon it would buy him a lot of time. In saying that, as we've been discussing in the last few minutes, it's all about having that consistency and just prolonging those runs. So 
although Gattuso might not be the guy that will bring Milan silverware, it, bringing them into the Champions League spots would still be good enough for the time being when you consider the place that they have at the disposal. That's it. I think that's it, it's even harsh to say that he's not the guy to bring them silverware. Um, he could well be. These players aren't the players to bring Milan silverware, though. And we have a comment from Abdul who says, if Conte came in instead of Catuzo last November and achieved the same amount of points, would he still be looked at the same way? I'm not quite sure what he's getting at there, but I think that misses the point because Conte is already an established elite coach, whereas Gattuso, his record before Milan was comical, really, which is why it was such a surprise that the Rossoneri gave him the job. And I think Gattuso deserves time. He's, he's done quite well, and he hasn't got this amazing squad at his disposal. All right, maybe they should have done better last season, and maybe they should be a little bit better off this year, but they are still in contention for the Champions League. And at the beginning of this season, a return to the top four was the aim. So, uh, I don't know. The, the comments are coming in. Rasmus says Gattuso needs, just needs some good assistant coaches to help him get the right game management because he can't do it himself just yet. Which, I don't know. Um, I, I'm, I'm not too familiar with Milan's backroom staff or their operations, but I think... I think um, I think Vito makes a good point though that Milan are where you'd expect Milan to be with the players at Gattuso's disposal, and that's something that I I said a little while ago that when Gattuso came in, the players and they bought a lot of them last summer were still kind of getting together and getting to know their surroundings and their their teammates, and and you'd expect an improvement in performances just for those players that came in last summer, and. And then Milan are where they are because of the players. Okay, it's not it's not a, a group of players that's going to take them to a title or maybe even a Europa League. But you know, Gattuso, Gattuso is effectively just doing the best with his tools, but he can't push them any further. And maybe a Conte will come on and even with that squad of players, be that next that next level for them. Yeah, well, I'm glad that that's another thing I'm glad about from this weekend. Actually, is that Antonio Conte won't be linked with. AC Milan anymore because he's going to be given the Real Madrid job probably tomorrow. But Milan's defence is an issue. And this isn't something I thought I would say under Rino Gattuso. <laughs> it's strange. They, they've not kept a clean sheet in Serie A since April 15th against Napoli. And since then, I'm going to just read out the list of teams to have scored against them because it's not like they've been playing all of these elite opposition. Torino, Benevento, Bologna, Verona... Fiorentina, Napoli, Roma, Cagliari, Atalanta, Empoli, Sassuolo, Chievo, Inter, and Sampdoria. That's not good enough. Surely, they should have a better alternative. Well, they do have a better alternative, which we might get onto. That Matteo Mazzacchio, Vito, he's not good enough to be playing for Milan. He should be there as a squad player, perhaps. But starting, I just don't see his worth. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. 
Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. No, I don't see much worth either. He might suit the ball-playing game in which you have defenders passing the ball out of defense, but... I'm not completely sold on his defensive work. Sometimes he does some good things, but other times his awareness is just not good enough. And it all goes back to just knowing the basic principles of being a defender. A defender actually needs to know how to defend. And Musaku's not good enough at that. So hopefully Kaldari's 100% fit and Gattuso gives him a chance because Kaldari is good in both phases of the game. He can go up for corners and score goals, but he knows that a defender must defend, whereas Musakyo, I don't think it's clear to him. And he's 28 years old, so when's he going to learn? Yeah, I was speaking to a Milan fan actually in the week uh, where I work. There's a Milan fan who always comes in and chats to me, and he was saying he'd rather see Caldaro play and make mistakes now because it's more beneficial for Milan in the long run than to have Musakyo playing and making mistakes and just not learning from them. But I've just been sent a stat by Dov, actually. Milan have conceded at least one goal in 15 Serie A games in a row for the first time since. Can either of you guess the year that that last happened? Kev, I'll let you go first. Mid-80s? 83? Uh, Vito, cast your guess. I would say the 1949-50 season. Oh, Vito, you're very close. It's 1946, which is... Unbelievable. And you consider how bad Milan were in the last few years and they're still doing that. But yeah, Caldara needs to be playing when he's fit. Speaking of fitness and Milan defenders, Andrea Conti is back. Not starting, but he's back in contention, which I didn't like the way he left Atalanta, but I don't want the guy's career to be over. And he was, hopefully still is, a fantastic player who will give them so much on the right, both defensively and attacking. And Vito, I, I guess it's almost it almost goes without saying that we want this guy to get back to his best again. I reckon both Milan and Italy fans would love to see Andrea Conti back. The way he broke through at Atalanta in that 2016-2017 campaign was sensational. And he scores goals like a midfielder or a striker. So if you can have a player like him that is as complete as he is, I think he would just add an extra dimension to Milan's game. And I reckon if in peak form, he would offer a bit more composure than Davide Calabria would. Yeah, I think so. I quite like Calabria as well. But yeah, Conti is definitely, for me anyway, a better player. Um, all right, that, that's enough on Milan. A good win for them. 
Europe is still very much on the card and people need to calm down would be my evaluation of the situation at San Siro at the moment. Um, Empoli won Juve 2. Kev, was it ever really a scare or was it just delaying the inevitable? I think we were just delaying the inevitable. Um, it, it did even get late enough in the game, really, for it to be a, to be a scare for Juve. Um, it's around the 55 minute mark, I think, when the, when the penalty came. A questionable penalty that I'm sure we'll get onto. But yeah, there's, there's something depressing again about the, you know, just the, the run that Juventus are on. It's not really a lack of anything else, of, uh, you know, within the league. It's just, just how strong they look at the moment. Yeah, you know what? That is something that I wasn't planning on bringing up. But Vito, I think Kev makes a good point there because there are some other good teams. Like Napoli are. A decent side. Inter are flawed, but okay. But you are just streets ahead. But basically, at least two squads state Juventus. So even if they're not at full strength or playing at the full capacity, they still find a way to get these results. As Kevin was saying just before, I think it was just delaying the inevitable. And although we can talk about how soft the penalty was, Juventus still have that skill to turn games around, and they have the player quality. So I don't think it was a matter of Empoli showing that they could put up some fight despite them playing good football throughout the season. It was just more that Juventus were in first game in the first half, and it took that uh, deficit to sort of wake them up in the second half and actually get the goals that they needed to win. Yeah, well, did they all even wake up, or was it just that their, their very best player woke up? Kev, Cristiano Ronaldo scored a simple penalty. You would expect him to put those away every day of the week, but then a stunning strike to make it 2-1. And it's kind of frightening that... It, I was surprised that he was even playing, really, to be honest, because this is the type of game that I thought Allegri might rest him in. But, yeah, Cristiano Ronaldo coming up with the goods. Who would have seen that coming? With regards to the rest, you know, I think I think the the physical condition of Ronaldo allows him to play all those games. I was um, I was at Juventus Genoa last week with Dov, and I sort of kind of questioned whether he'd be rested for that because it was ahead of the Manchester United game midweek. So there's not a lot coming up for Juventus this week. So you kind of expect him to to play because effectively the league and Juventus won in there for almost everything for that that superstar coming to town that he's going to sort of roll around the Serie A this season. But with regards to the goal, I can't remember in recent memory, other than the, other than the overhead kick at uh, the Juventus stadium last season, the last time Ronaldo pulled a goal like that out of his fabulous repertoire, when he was playing almost like the focal point of the Madrid attack of the last few years, it's always kind of been those Typical Ronaldo shots across the striker after sort of breaking away or tapping in, you know, a, a, a wonderful team move. This was a this showed all his qualities really that we've not seen for a little while. Yeah, it did kind of remind me of something that you saw him do at the Bernabeu every other week in about 2012-13. As you said, he, he has been more of a poacher in recent seasons, but they did get a penalty. Vito, there has been a lot of things spoken and written about Paolo Dybala after. His involvement, he he was, I don't know, he was toppled. Read into that what you will. Uh, did he dive? Was he fouled? Was it a penalty? Was it robbery? Uh, what do you think? 
I reckon Dybala did go into that change with Ben Asser with the intention of winning the penalty, but I wouldn't call it a clear dive. In those circumstances, this is where players who play in Italy act with more cunningness. And I reckon at that split second, Dybala saw what Ben Asser was doing by foolishly playing the ball out of defence. And he looked to make contact. And in Italy, it's just one of those things where there's a little bit of contact and the referee will see that it's justified enough for a penalty. And obviously, regardless if it's Juventus or any big team around the world, the larger sides usually get the benefit of the doubts anyway. And that's just how football works, unfortunately. Yeah, I actually thought the ball was quite clever there because he, he won. I'm not sure if it was a dive, but he definitely knew what he was doing, didn't he? He put his body... Kev, I don't think you're in agreement with me here. Feel free to cut me off if you like. Um, I mean, anywhere else on the pitch, that's obstruction on the player trying to make away with the ball. And, and I only say that because... If Dybala touches the ball after he steps across the player, then he's, then he's gained control of the ball. And at no point did he do that. And I think if you do that anywhere else on the pitch, then you're just going to get called for obstruction against, against the player that's, that's played the ball out. Do you know what? In, in defense of a forward player, um, you might be able to tell that I used to play as an attacking player in my day. But defenders get away with that every time the ball is running out of play for a goal kick and a striker is running for it and the defender hasn't touched the ball but they will come along and stand six yards away from the ball with their hands out like this to stop the forward getting around them so if a striker gets a decision like that every once in a while I'm more than happy to fight their corner for them uh but yeah Dybala was captain as well which was strange to see it was one of those that you always identify Juve captains as being these big leaders. And then it's just this little 12-year-old-looking man who still hasn't fully convinced everybody somehow in his time at Juve. But, yeah, congratulations to him for that because that is a huge achievement. I think we can move on from Juve now. That is probably, for all of those Juve fans listening, that's your dose until January, so you're welcome. But we are going to move on to the game I was at today, actually, because in the absence of tomorrow's big game to talk about, we're kind of down to the smaller sides. Uh, Sassuolo 2, Bologna 2. It was a really, really poor game. And I mean, in terms of quality, one of the worst games I have ever seen in my life. But the first hour was really fun because no one could defend. No one tried to defend. The water just ruined the pitch and everyone was just sliding in everywhere. And... I don't know if you guys saw my post-match video on the site or um, read my report, but I saw the most fantastically incompetent 30 seconds of football I have ever seen. And I include professional football, amateur football, League of Ireland football in that as well. And it all started with the boy Federico Santan there, obviously. How fitting is that? The most useless forward in Serie A. So the ball comes in. Santan there is about three yards out. Goal at his mercy, as they say, and he hit the post. I don't know how. Then Sassuolo broke. Federico Di Francesco turns around deep inside his own half and discovers that Bologna haven't bothered keeping anyone back. So he's got the whole pitch to run into. Uh, Berardi's running up with him. He gets in on Skrupski's goal and tries to play it to Berardi. Somehow miss hits the pass and Bologna get it clear. And it was just amazing. It was absolutely wonderful. I was on my feet. I was laughing. It was, it was incredible. 
But yeah, it took a Kevin Prince Boateng penalty for Sassuolo to get a point at home for Bologna, which they will be disappointed with. Um, Vito, you've been keeping a bit of an eye on Sassuolo with me this season. Uh, Prince, he's back from his injury. I got to call him the fresh Prince in the title of my match report, which I was happy about. He's just so important to Sassuolo's hopes this season, isn't he? Absolutely. He seems to be a little bit more matured, but not that too mature. Having said that, I do like the way that he has played for Sassuolo and how he's linking up with the players. You can tell that he's an important player for them, a real focal point in their attack, and he is someone that still has good enough technique to combine with his teammates and create something out of nothing. It's good that he scored the penalty, but I reckon he does generally have good contributions on the field in open play, and when someone like Berardi is not stepping up often enough, at least Boateng can add an extra dimension to Sassuolo's play. Um, regular contributor Nick has just said in the comments, I feel as though Connor secretly has a soft spot for Santander. Well, then, Nick, you've just proven what I've always thought, and it's that you don't listen to a word I ever say. He's horrendous, like, absolutely horrendous. I don't really understand how he's a professional footballer. He did set up the first goal. He's a, he's a tree trunk. Yeah, but it was a terrible cross. He, he drilled it in the <laughs> post, and Rodrigo Palacio did really well to beat both Sassuolo defenders to it and smashed it in at the near post. Honestly, it was an awful cross. It, a few years ago, uh, when Gianfranco Zola scored a ridiculous back heel goal for Chelsea from a corner, it was only because I think it was Graham Lasso put in one of the worst corners of all time, and Zola <laughs> turned it into a piece of magic. Uh, Aaron Holland is in the comments. It's good to see you again, Aaron. Um, we have a soft spot for Destro. You might. I absolutely don't. Is Berardi, Is the Berardi hype still on, or is the big move he was destined for already too late? Kev, you can take that one. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, he had that, what, two seasons, if we're being kind, maybe 18 months where... You know, he seemed to be in the, in, you know, in the press all the time. You know, whether it was going back to Juve, it's just, it's just not done it, has he? The last, you know, probably the back end of last season, and then this year's been a bit of a, bit of a washout so far for him. Yeah, well, Vito spoke about uh, Prince having matured, and I think that's something that Berardi didn't do for too long was mature. He was quite a. I don't want to say selfish, but he was a bit of a selfish player. He was always looking to shoot himself rather than set up his teammates. He seems to have found a bit of a home there in Sassuolo, which I would worry about because he's obviously got the talent to be better than that. But I'm not sure what's what his personal situation is. He might be the type of character who wants to play at a bigger club, which would make me question him a little bit. But what else have we got to say about this? Yes, the Swallow are exciting. They, don't, they, are, they are a lot of fun. They don't really care too much for defending, which I'm fully on board with. Andrea Cancelli loves a save for the cameras. And when they go forward, they've got Di Francesco Berardi and Prince, and even Filip Juricic as well, who kind of links well with those. They played with the front four at times today. And if they had a proper number nine, they would be way up the table. I'm starting to wonder if the Zerbi really has much trust in true number nines because at Benevento, he never really played with a centre forward unless he played the Abate and he scored a few goals. And now it's a swallow. 
He's got Babacar there, who's been a bit inconsistent, but he sometimes has his moments. So perhaps uh, Babacar needs to be utilised a bit more. My only concern is if he's that desperate to turn to Alessandro Matri, wow. then you can tell he's in trouble. Vito, let me tell you, you did remind me, Babacar was pretty poor today, actually. Um, but Matri, oh my God, he came on and I was thinking, this might be the game where one just like happens to bounce off his backside and go in. Because <laughs> the conditions were that way. Ibrahima and Bai's goal was kind of similar, just kind of bounced off him. But Matri missed from... I don't know if it was actually possible to do what he did. He was beneath the crossbar and he hit it over the bar. And I just assumed that the defender had cleared it. But then <laughs> Bologna took a goal kick and I didn't know what was going on. And there's no TVs in the press area in Sassuolo, so I couldn't really see. But yeah, Alessandro Matri is still doing Alessandro Matri things, which is always nice to know. I had, uh, uh, go. Sorry, I, I, I saw your match report because I wasn't lucky enough to catch the whole game. And you mentioned the Matri miss. Now, whoever compiled the five-minute highlights of the game, they did not include that. So I don't know if he's got one of his relatives working in the uh, media room, but uh, I still haven't seen this miss, and I must find it somewhere. No, I'll tell you what happened there. That, um, the miss was, I think there were four minutes of out of time or something. The miss was in the 30, 93rd and 40th second or something like that. So that person had their job done, and they were ready to go home. I would, I would reckon is what happened there, and then Matri blazed over. So, yeah, it was it was fun. People were in disbelief. No one really knew what was happening. There were a lot of Bologna fans in front of me, and they were all laughing as much as I was. But yeah, um, I'm sure it'll pop up somewhere. They always do. Okay, um, I've been waiting for this. Atalanta three, Parma nil. Atalanta got back to winning ways last week with Josip Ilicic's return, and of course, I wasn't on the podcast to talk about it. So. They beat Parma, which gives me a lot of happiness, given that I am currently based in Parma. And Kev, Josip Bilicic is an absolute magician when he's on his day. When he's on in day, his day indeed, yes. I don't know how much more we're, we'll, we'll see this this season. Um, I think he was, there was something comical about the first goal, even though it's it stemmed from his shot. Um, you know, <laughs> Luigi Seppe, what's he doing there, palming the ball? You know, the, the conditions were wet. But uh, if you're giving any credit to uh, Ilicic for that, I think um, you're being very, very generous. No, it's just more of a general point about Ilicic, but I'm glad you mentioned Seppe because I've been... I've had DMs about criticising Seppe this season, but I think he's horrendous. I really do. Um, I, I, he was OK for Palma against Atalanta. He kept them out, but Atalanta make every goalkeeper look good because their shots are just aren't accurate enough. But then, yeah, that was quite comical. But it is good for me, and I'm sure for a lot of other people to see Atalanta performing well again. Uh, Musa Barrow has been quite notably back in the starting 11, and I don't think it's any secret that Atalanta's upturn in form has come with that, because Duvan Zapata started quite well in Bergamo, but since basically he tore Roma apart and didn't score, he's been horrendous, absolutely awful. Um, Barrow just brings something else. He's got, he's got a, a terrible first touch, Barrow. Um, and sometimes he is a little bit too greedy. But he's an exciting player. And he seems to inject that bit of confidence into the rest of the team when he beats someone as well. So I'm happy to see him playing. And, oh, someone I want to talk about is Gianluca Mancini. Vito, you will be fully on board this. 
he is going to be the next to come through and leave Bergamo because he looks pretty impressive. There are still some mistakes there, but he's slowly filling the boots left by Mattia Caldara. For sure. And from what I saw of this game, he looked pretty comfortable on the ball, but that was also due to Parma not posing enough of an attacking threat. But he was involved in the last two goals, so he got the touch that resulted in Palomino making it 2-0, and then Mancini himself scored the third. So it seems that he is that heir to Caldari in the Atalanta defence based on his composure on the ball and also having that knack to chip in and be involved in the goals when Atalanta gets corners. Yeah, so the Bergamaschi have started their run back into the Europa League places. So watch this space and they'll be fifth in no time. All right, what's next? Ah, Torino, Fiorentina, one each. The two friends played out a one-all draw. We do have something else for our audio listeners here. Uh, Vieri Capretta was at this game and... I spoke to him afterwards, and he also spoke to Ola Aina. So for those of you listening on iTunes, Acast, and the rest, you can hear that interview now. I'm now joined by Vieri Capretta, who was at the Stadio Olimpico in Turin to see Torino and Fiorentina play at a 1-1 draw. In terrible conditions, it must be said. But Vieri... Something that intrigues me about this game, and will no doubt intrigue many of the listeners and viewers, is what happened off the pitch. Fiorentina and Torino have this friendship. Would you be able to explain a little bit more about that, please? Yes, as always, the atmosphere when Torino play Fiorentina is amazing. I don't think there's anything like that, at least in Italy. Obviously, the two teams are twinned, but there's other twinned teams. For example, Fiorentina twinned traditionally with Hellas Verona as well. But what you get with um, when Torino and Fiorentina play each other is two fan bases who are mixed completely. You get some ultras from Fiorentina where in uh, the Curva Maratona, Torino's main heartbeat uh, of fans, and they were all mixed up together. And, um, you know, you get a lot of chanting of support from either side. The two fan bases then uh, at the stadium start singing together against Juventus, who is, of course, the common en- enemy. Uh, there's very few twinnings, if that's a word, at this level, I think, in Italian football. And it's absolutely magnificent, which is why, um, you know, it's not a big deal for either of them to just come away with a point. And um, because it just hurts less, if that makes sense. And... It's completely out of place what we saw yesterday during the game when Biragi had a go at the Silvestri for no reason. And obviously the fans see that and get annoyed, especially when you know this is a game between friends, which obviously at professional level doesn't make a lot of sense. But really, it's the truth. And it's been like this traditionally for decades. And uh, even Walter Mazzari, after the game, having a go at the referee like that, it isn't in the spirit of what Torino and Fiorentina as fans represent. So I have to say, you know, I'd like to know from our listeners if there's examples of anything like that um, outside of Italy, because I don't think anyone are as good friends as Torino and Fiorentina within the peninsula. Yeah, there's definitely quite an interesting little quirk of Italian football. I'm not sure if it's quite at the same level of Torino and Fiorentina's friendship, but Atalanta are 
twinned with Ternana and you often see the green and red shirts of Ternana in Atalanta's Curva. There is a, a flag in the Curva Morosini which shows characters wearing both clubs' shirts shaking hands. But another thing you mentioned about this Torino-Fiorentina game was the forwards or lack thereof. Uh, Andrea Bellotti played for Toro but he's been pretty out of form this season and Giovanni Simeone was not selected by Stefano Pioli. Can you explain the thinking behind that? Yes, the one about the strikers really is a big problem for both sides. Uh, Belotti obviously started against Fiorentina. Simeone was rested. But even then, Pioli's experiment of playing uh, 45 minutes without a real centre-forward didn't really turn out as he probably imagined. The rain didn't help, of course. It was a very physical game against Torino and Mirayas and Eseric were completely um, in the wrong place at the wrong time. It was a bit better with Simeone in the second half, but he didn't score and he missed an easy chance. The feeling is Simeone is someone who works a lot for the team, uh, fights a lot against defenders, but kind of gets, when it comes to it, when he needs to score, he's either too tired or simply not very good. I mean, the idea that he might be a decent striker but nothing special uh, is common to a lot of uh, Fiorentina fans, if not everyone, and a lot of the press. Uh, someone who might score 10 slash 12 Serie A goals a season, which is a fair amount, but, you know, you're talking about a team, Fiorentina, and, and the fan base who've been used to the likes of uh, Batistuta, obviously, to reach uh, an all-time height. But even Luca Toni, Alberto Gilardino, players who would easily score between 15 and 20 goals a season. I mean, Toni one time got to 31. You give them Simeone, who scores about 10, and uh, we saw it last season, what he's able to do at his peak, you know, even score three against Napoli. But then on a regular basis... He's too, too often not good enough. Belotti, I think, is a different matter because Belotti showed two years ago what he can do at his very best, and that's over 20 goals, over 25, which is a lot. Now, what the problem is, has he fully recovered from uh, a bit of um, an underwhelming season last year, coming back uh, from an injury? And maybe now psychologically, we need to test him, his maturity at top level. There's a tactical point here as well perhaps under Walter Mazzari he isn't really getting um, the help he needs up front he's worked a lot against Fiorentina he did a couple of um, of great uh, you know defending of the ball getting the fouls making the team push up the pitch and passing quite nicely as well but when it came to it to score goals he was never in the right place uh, ready to fire home so I think Simeone, I have the feeling he might just not be that great. Even though he's, you know, he's got a great character, great personality, and um, he is still a striker who can easily play for a Serie A side. And to be honest, for this Fiorentina side, who is, uh, you know, if everything goes in the right place, might get a European spot. If not, I'll come eighth or ninth. Simeone is the right striker. Belotti could potentially be better, but at the moment we've got a player who is still to fully uh, recover from what was a terrible season uh, last year, and perhaps he's not got the right manager. 
Thanks, Vieri. Well, also after that game in Turin, Vieri did manage to speak to Ola Aina, Torino wingback, who was kind enough to speak to Forza Italian football for the second time this season. So he spoke about life in Italy, among other things. So here is what the Chelsea Loney had to say. Ola, a beautiful game for you, your best game in Italy. Yes, um, very happy with uh, my performance, the, the team performance. Um, it's just unfortunate that we wasn't able to come away with a win, but um, yes, I'm very happy with how tonight's went. Do you do you reckon you'll get more playing time from now on? Um, you know, it's, it's it's a competition here. You know, for positions, um, everybody has the right to play because everybody's um, equally as good as each other. So um, it's good. It's healthy competition, and it, we'll just see what happens. How is the relation with Alejandro, with Berenguer, because he's the guy that play in the same position with you? Yeah, yeah, we have a good relationship, you know. If if he plays, you know, I encourage him. If he, if I play, he encourages me. So the the team bond is very is very good. And um, whoever um, the coach decides to play on the on the on game day, then that's the decision, and everybody is um, fully backing that decision. Are you enjoying life in Italy? Yes, I am. I am. I'm enjoying it. Do you miss England? Yes, I do miss England, but, you know, sometimes you have to make these sacrifices, you know, but I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm, I'm really liking it. Yeah. What's it. What is it you like the most? Food? I think... Uh, Mentality? I think food has to be up there, you know, because I like food. <laughs> um, but uh, the, the way of living here is very um, easy, you know, nobody's really in a rush. And um, it's, it's a bit like me, you know, I just like to take it, you know, easy. Seems like a nice guy. It's the second time he's spoken to FIF this season, so we like him over here. Okay, Spal, nil, frozen on a three. This was unpredictable, I think. Uh, Vito, what on earth happened there? It seems to be a case of history repeating itself with Spal that they just cannot convert their chances. Meanwhile, Rosinone finally managed to put theirs away and having Daniel Chofani, who's the main centre forward and the captain, I think has made a big difference. He did not score in this game, but his presence was more than good enough. And I think the support, the strikers that support him, Camilo Chano and Joel Campbell, look like they're in form and they're confident. So I think that has made a big difference. The third goal was probably the one that impressed me the most because it involved Francesco Cassata and Andrea Pinomonti. Cassata has been playing professional football for at least two years or so, being regular in Serie B and then having some spells in Serie A. So it's good that he's getting a chance. And the guy who scored Pinomonti, he was an inter-youth product and he scored a fabulous goal with the side volley. So I'm glad that he's got his chance in Serie A. At Milan, they had Cotrone in the youth system, whereas Inter had Pinamonti. So we've seen Cotrone do well for AC Milan. It'd be interesting to see if Pinamonti can gain more time at Frosinone and uh, yeah, just prove himself in Serie A and see if he can be another bright young striker for Italy in the future. Yeah, I remember back in the days at Gazetta covering the Viareggio Cup, and I'm pretty sure Pinamonti was one of those strikers that tore it up one year. Possibly even the same season that Antonio Lagomina did with Palermo. And I was really impressed by the two of those. And I got to watch them every time they played, which was quite nice. 
And yeah, it would be quite nice to see him make that step up as Legomina is trying, but not succeeding so far in doing in Serie A. He's been uh, disappointing, Legomina. Uh, Sampdoria dodged the ball by the look of things because Caputo is scoring most of Empoli's goals. I think Legomina would do a lot better if he was in a team like Sampdoria's or even someone like Atalanta. I don't think Empoli are really playing to his strengths. I know they try and play good football, but I just think he'd be better served if he had better players around him, to be honest. Okay. Um, other results, Cagliari beat Chievo 2-1 to make sure the Flying Donkeys stay on minus one point. And I, I don't have the same issues with Chievo as most people do, but I'm quite enjoying seeing how long a team can go on minus points. So just before we wrap this up, Kev, can I get a prediction from you? as to when Kievo will finally get zero points. Well, I'm also finding it quite amusing, actually, the whole uh, Kievo sitting at the bottom of minus one. So I'd like, I'd like it to continue just until Christmas, you know, really give their fans a little treat, maybe around the, uh, the festive, the festive period. Um, but uh, the, the way they're playing at the moment just looks like it's going to, it's going to continue that they looked woeful just from the, the highlights I saw. Yeah, well, I think I will be in Verona for Chievo Inter on the last round of Serie A games before Christmas. So that would be wonderful. Go to Verona, get some nice Pandoro Panettone before the game, go and see Chievo pick up their first positive point of the season and for it to be against Inter. I mean, there will be so much to enjoy about that. What a, what a lovely Christmas gift for me that would be. Um, so let's, let's hope they hold out until December 20th. 3rd, 22nd, whenever that is. I, I think I'm also going to be in Verona on the 16th because, as I tweeted earlier, I have been to 18 of the 20 Serie A clubs this season. And Chievo and Spal are the only two missing from my list. And they play each other in Verona on the 16th of December. So I'll be getting onto Dov to send me to that one so I can complete the set. And that's going to be such a little badge of honor for me. I'm already excited about it. Um, oh, Ken, you yeah. asked me about this. Mm. I'm a bit of a stadia hunter, so uh, I wondered how many you got to. Right. Um, 18 teams, 17 matches. That does include one Europa League qualification game. But I have been to eight stadiums this season. Um, I've been to Bergamo twice, the San Siro once, the Tardini three times, the Marassi three times, I think, the Artemio Franchi twice. The Olympico in, in Ver, the Olympico in Turin twice, the Mape three times, including Europa League game, and the Carlo Castellani, which is the worst stadium I've been to here. Um, but yeah, and you're on track for a few yourself this season. I am. Yeah, I'm coming over. Certainly in Easter for Bologna. Hopefully getting over a bit before that. But uh, I've nearly done all the stadia, but not in one season. So uh, I'm I'm going to have five to go hopefully get most of those done this year well there is a sofa in parma with your name on it if ever you need to come over and it's quite nice and central to get everywhere else so feel free to take me up on that (laughs) okay and the last result genoa 2 udinese 2 nobody wants to talk about either of those teams especially when piontek's not scoring vita who got by the pole though for 2-2 ah good shout out Rodrigo de Paul is amazing, and he's probably going to leave Udinese in January because he's too good for them. Um, it will be interesting to see where he ends up because he's definitely a level above that. 
All right, guys, we've made it. Um, Vito, thank you as ever for joining. And Kev, congratulations on a solid debut. And thanks for saving us this week. No problem. All right, so as ever, head over to ForzaItalianFootball.com for all of the latest Italian football news, match coverage, videos, podcasts. Basically, if there's anything you need on Italian football, we've got you covered. And we are the only people doing it in English from inside Italy. So you don't really need anyone else when you've got us. Um, All right. Remember, hashtag FIF at the games. And we will be speaking to you again soon. Until next time, it's Chef Renette.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Market.